you know, this is the part of the show that goes this way. This is just a technical detail that has to be known and explored. This is what we call exposition. This is backstory. So that the listeners can, can see how we got where we got. And that's very important on the Barack Lurie show. Oh, my God. You know? These I always get so nervous during that. I have no idea where this man is going. Please help me. <laughs> Police? Anybody? <laughs> Call them, I dare you. They're not going to be here for 45 minutes. Okay, the point is, I paid for this microphone. I did. We can prove it. There's a receipt. <laughs> so when I do these openings, just realize you're lucky that you can participate here. Because, like Reagan said, I paid for this microphone. I always wanted to say that. Without further ado, the guy who's going to use my microphone, Barack Lurie, everyone. Hey, all right. Thank you, Ari. Right. That wasn't that bad, I, was it? It was not. It was, it was less offensive than the... Than the usual. Thank you very much. I, wow, you want me to redo it? I, I'm, I'm seeing improvement here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk. There's a very fascinating new piece. And, and it, it kind of may make sense, and it's kind of old news in some ways, but it's also new news. And that is the notion of the Internet and pornography. And recently, what, what prompted this? There, there's recently a... Um, I think it was a joint article, a co-authored art- article by Rabbi, uh, Rabbi uh, Shmuley Boteach, or Boteach, or I, forget, I can't ever pronounce it, and Pamela Anderson, of Pamela Anderson fame, right? Who do uh, you from, think did the majority of the typing on that one? Hmm. hmm. <laughs> anyway, Rabbi, Rabbi Boteach is a famous rabbi that has written many, many books, uh, really brilliant uh, one of my favorite books that he, he, I didn't read all of his books, but one of my favorite is uh, his book about fear and dealing with fear and how it's useless. Um, but he also talks about, of course, big social issues such as uh, pornography and, the, and its destructive impact upon our society. So here he, he's kind of teamed up with Pamela Anderson, who believes the same thing. And look, she's older and wiser at this point, And she's, you know, she herself has... Uh, you know, maybe she was not a porn star herself, but she exuded this sexuality. She's kind of, when you think of Pamela Anderson, at least from the 80s, when she was on Baywatch, I believe, you know, the, the, the idea is, here's a, a sexy blonde. Right? She's a, a bombshell. Symbol, sex symbol. A sex symbol. Sex yes. symbol. Yeah, a blonde bombshell, you name it. That's the idea. You know, big boobs, um, you know, very curvy. And then, of course, there's the sex tape that she had with her, I guess, then husband. And that became some, uh, uh, some big salacious matter. Okay. Uh, and now they've written an article that more or less says pornography is extremely destructive. Uh, it it uh, robs you of the, the notion of true sexual intimacy and uh, romantic growth in your relationships. And, <clears throat> and, and that's what I want to talk about. Because I find it, first of all, I agree. Um, and, and I say this with a great, um, you know, I, w- I would say that I'm, what's a conflicted is, is the word that somebody might use. I guess I'm not really conflicted. But, but I guess with an admission in a, in a sense that the, you know, we all have, we men especially, have very strong sexual urges. Our impulses are gravitate toward the, the visual. And, you know, we can compare it to being an alcoholic uh, and having, an, a, you know, alcohol surrounding you as an alcoholic. We can compare it to somebody who loves cigarettes, who's trying to quit, but he's surrounded by other smokers. 
uh, we can compare it to a chocolate lover who just just has to have chocolate or potato chips if you want and is really trying to cut down on, on such things and just is surrounded by junk food all the time, how hard that, that is. But it's not, it's not a fair comparison because for one simple reason, every man, I see, I, I'm not, I, I don't have the lust for alcohol the way that an alcoholic does. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't, I'm not interested in gambling. I'm not a, I'm not a whatever, a gambleholic. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a chocoholic. Um, do I love food? Yes. That, that's kind of made the closest thing to, to what we're talking about. But when it comes to lust, every man really has the same lust. Now when they, you know, the, putting aside chemical imbalances and such, but a healthy male all has the same amount of lust. It's the way they control it that makes the difference between somebody who is, a, you know, a good man, or a man and a gentleman. I guess that's the difference. So Anthony Weiner, for example, or Bill Clinton, you know, we have the same lust as those two men have. See, and that's why it's different than the alcoholic situation. I don't have the drive to alcohol that an alcoholic has. I, I don't even understand an alcoholic. I, I'll have some wine from time to time, and I don't know why anybody needs to have alcohol and, and craves it. I do understand, by contrast, uh, that Bill Clinton loves women so much because I like women so much too. Uh, it's just that he acts on it. And I, I don't, you know, do, do, do I want in my fantasies, uh, you know, I see a beautiful woman and I, I just imagine myself with her? Yeah, sure. But he goes that extra step and, and does some, some bad things. Anthony Weiner and so many other men as well. But the lust is the same. And, and that's really what I'm talking about here. So here is an avenue uh, nowadays, the internet with porn, and it, it appeals to the most prurient interest possible. And that is the, the lust that men have. And it's, it's telling you, hey, watch this. This is the most base desire you can possibly have. And it's designed to satisfy that most base of desires. And if you, and, and if you just watch this porn site, well, then we'll help you satisfy that desire because you want to see naked women and presumably naked women uh, you know, performing. All right. But... This is, this is very different than just offering, you know, a, a new mountain bike, for example. I like mountain biking, right? Oh, isn't this a great mountain bike? Are you interested in mountain biking? Here's, the, here's a mountain bike that will really make you exercise better and such. Uh, it, no, of course, it's not the same thing. It's a prurient interest. It, it appeals to a very base, primal uh, desire that is different than you're wanting to have faster internet speeds, for example, or your desire to have a... a a ballpoint pen that flows nicer um, or a shirt that doesn't wrinkle as often or whatever. It, it's, it's not the same thing. And this draws you in, the, the whole porn thing. That's, that's what they're trying to do. And they, they want that. They, they know that, that it draws men especially, and I'm sure some women too, but they just they get lost in it. And in that being lost, they have all these ads <laughs> and all these other, I suppose, toys I, I don't even don't know because I, I don't really do that I, but there's obviously it's there for a reason right? they're going to advertise in the process they want they want something out of you because as, as I understand a lot of porn is free I mean it's it's not as if you have to pay for a lot of porn right so I, I frankly I don't understand the business model but there it is and what what percentage of, of uh, people watch porn oh, sorry what percentage of the internet is porn oriented 
I think it's like 80 or 90% is what I heard. Let's just call it the whole thing. It might as well, well be, right? there'd be no email <clears throat> or Twitter without porn. Right. no yeah. one would bother. All right. Well, there he goes. So, so. And, and that's not an overstatement. Sure, there are certain times when Netflix spikes, you know, usage between, you know, 8 and 11 p.m. and whatever time zone. But the, the constant background radiation of Internet use, most of the bits going across it at all times. Right. Porn related. Right. Now, <clears throat> offline, you, you made a very good point, uh, which is that on the one hand, we don't want to, uh, you know, ban alcohol, for example, but we also don't want to encourage its use, right? So there is a both a, a, an allowing of it and a discouragement of it. Uh, the, maybe the better example is um, cigarette smoking, right? We allow it. You can buy cigarettes. That's true. But we discourage it as well. We have oh, a lot of it? warnings. We have the, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't advertise in, uh, in, in magazines anymore or, or TV anymore. You can only do it in magazines. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of things that you can, likewise with gambling to some extent, there's like, you, you're, you're welcome to gamble, but remember, you can get in trouble with that, right? But we don't have that when it comes to uh, the porn industry. It just, it's, it's not that people are encouraging you to use it. It's they're certainly not discouraging you. They, 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 they go so far out of the way to allow it. And I think part of the reason why, Ari, is that unlike the other industries I just mentioned, the porn industry actually invokes the First Amendment. It's a, it's a freedom of speech thing. I don't think it is a freedom of speech thing. I think that's a bunch of a bunch of bull, right? It's not. Porn is porn. It's not. Expression. Well, let, let me just. But that's a different story. Make a quick point about this because I think this has to do with it. Um, but the fact is that there's a lot of porn out there that is not connected to the profit motive. What do I mean by that? Yeah. There are people out there who make porn and put it online for free because they're getting a thrill of people watching them. Right. Understand? If you invest in all the equipment to make a beer, people better damn well buy it. Or right, you're out of right, business, right? right. right? Yeah, Same there's, with cigarettes. Right. It's, it, I understand. The thrill, it's like a voyeurism thing in reverse where they want to be watched. Yes. Uh, and But as a result, the product out there, it's as if someone who's making beer and just getting uh, an incredible thrill out of you drinking it and they don't care about the costs involved in producing it. Because with porn, the, the costs are negligible. In this okay, case. yeah, but... but, but so okay. my point is you have a weird thing where normal rules of business don't apply to it in that way. No, but, but that's not what I'm talking this. about. Ari, I'm not talking about that. <coughs> I'm talking about the fact that it's a, it's a First Amendment thing also in terms of the discouragement part of it. Because alcohol, you're allowed but discouraged. Cigarettes, you're allowed but discouraged. Even with candy, they say, look, candy's fun. You should allow it to have it. But, you know, by the way, if you have too much of it, you might go diabetic. Right. Yeah, and all these things, there's also government regulation. You have to have the warning label. You have to have right. the cleanliness thing. Right. You have to do this. This but what, is an unregulated thing unreg- because of that yeah. First Amendment. So it's not just unregulated, but the, the kind of the cultural response to it is not one of discouragement. And he, so here comes this article. I, you know, I, I know it's not the first time, but it's actually kind of an interesting combination. This very famous rabbi and this very famous, you know, former blonde bombshell uh, talking about the dangers of, of pornography and how it really affects you. And it, the, the point, uh, and it does affect you. We'll yeah, talk about how... call well, a woman a former blonde bombshell. Just say, blonde bombshell rabbi. Really all right, so here we go. I'm not worried about what Pamela Anderson says. Okay, so um, she's, uh, she's an interesting character, but that's, I, I don't want to talk about that. 
I am interested in knowing that they're talking about the destructive side of pornography, that uh, we should be dis discouraging. We should be talking about it and saying, look, it's, it's allowed, it's free, and all that stuff, but nevertheless, it will have consequences. Too much now, we are thinking that, you know, pornography, well, that's just, it's just, you know, it's a free lunch, so to speak. But as they say, there is no such thing as a free lunch, right? You're not only wasting your time in it, but it, it kind of, the expression is, uh, neurons that fire together stick together or something like that. I forget what the exact expression is. But it, when you associate, your association of sex and the female body, for that matter, is through porn, you're going to be very disappointed when it's not going to be as perfect, or whatever you perceive to be perfect, uh, in real life. And you, when, when there's a relationship attached to that sexual act. So in, in porn, they don't necessarily get into the relationship part of it, right? And relationship is very much a part of a boyfriend-girlfriend uh, part of it. It's, it's the female, classically the female side. And sex is very much a part of a relationship. But what an what a interesting dynamic this all is. Now, I, I said before about there's no free lunch, uh, and there isn't. And there, the consequences are what we're talking about today, right? Um, we talk about the consequences if you drink too much alcohol, too much potato chips and, and chocolate, too much coffee for that matter, too much... Somebody told me if I, if I drink too much soy milk, oh, all the problems of that. No one's going to ban soy milk, but they'll tell me the problems of, of eating too much or drinking too much soy milk, right? Too much uh, blueberries, for that matter, or too much um, cigarettes, of course. But when it comes to porn, no one's talking about that. And they should be talking about it. Um, because clearly there are destructive parts of this. Now, you know, we, we, we kind of joke around a lot about how our society and our technology, to some extent, reflects our, uh, who we are, right? It, it reflects, um, you know, our desires, our, um, you know, that there are kids' cartoons because, well, God, by golly, there are kids out there that may want to see some cartoons. Um, we have uh, alcohol out there because people like to celebrate and get drunk. Uh, so it's a reflection, right? And there is pornography out there because there are, there are men there that don't have the ability to really function in society. They are not seeking out girls. They are not trying to do... It's sometimes a difficult and challenging work of, of finding a, getting a girlfriend and having a relationship. So this is an easy route for them. But the question is why? I mean, it's, I, I think there's two parts to this, to this equation, and you and I discussed this. We, our society is so hell-bent on discouraging actual sex, not because it's... To, to be prudish, but, you know, what is it? One out of five uh, women are supposedly raped on campus um, and every uh, unwanted advance is, is suddenly considered uh, a rape or they, they have consensual sex and then the next morning the woman regrets it and now it becomes a rape, you know, retroactively. Um, so, so these are kind of crazy things that are going on and then they're trying to um, uh, legislate how you have sex you know, under what circumstances. So they're getting into the bedroom. They claim not to want to get into the bedroom, but boy, are they getting into the bedroom. In fact, the liberals are getting far more into the bedroom than the conservatives ever dreamed of doing. Yeah, and just to put it in perspective, in the nation, I believe, Sweden, sex sans condom is illegal unless you're married. Oh, interesting. So that's how regulated some of these liberal places 
that is are crazy. getting between yeah. two people, literally. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the regulation notwithstanding, it, it, there's so many of them. And there's also the concern that if you if you engage in it every time, you know, in college campus, classic example, every time that you are, you know, getting a little amorous uh, with a woman and then you decide to, hey, let's have some fun. You know, who knows? Maybe the next day um, you'll, you'll get these nasty looks and suddenly someone will point a finger at you and say that you raped her. So, uh, you know, it's <laughs> but there, there's this pornography thing and the, the Internet is not going to tell you that. You raped it, right? It, the internet's not going to say that you were inappropriate to the to the internet, or or that you didn't use a condom right, or you didn't treat him nicely or her nicely, right? It's it, the internet doesn't talk back. It is. It, it, the inter, there is no threat of imprisonment with the internet other than the obvious stuff. But I'm, I'm talking not talking about solicitation and such. I'm talking about just simply viewing porn. They are they they perceive themselves to be safe. Okay. Now these are the same people, mind you that want to ban all videos, or at least violent videos, on the grounds that it will make young boys, because it's usually young boys. You mean video games? Video games, right. Uh, video games, and make these young boys uh, into monsters, right? You know, if, you, if they play, uh, you know... Uh, Halo 3 or something. Yeah, yeah, or Halo, yeah, Halo, that's right. I'm sorry if I'm dating myself. It's no, been no, a while. Uh, Halo's a new one, and yeah. so, and then there's, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Um, and, and if you watch these, then you're going to become, you know, a Charles Manson type. So they, they seem to understand or seem to believe that playing video games has a destructive impact on, on you. But the reason why these kids are doing that is because they're discouraged from even playing with toy guns, even, you know, pretending to have guns, you know, with their fingers uh, in school or otherwise. They can't draw a picture of a gun. It's the equivalent of what we just talked about regarding sex, in a sense, isn't it? So the boys... They gravitate toward the video games, so this is what this is their only outlet, as it were. So, likewise, pornography is for many men their only outlet to to kind of just see some skin, some some flesh, and, and see some kind of fun activity, and this for them uh, satisfies their jollies, and you know they can do it alone, as it were. Okay, I don't want to get into the graphics of, of that, but they they're, they're they're just fine. Thank you very much. And, and they're seeing a lot of it in Japan, by the way. There's like men just are just walking around. They're not interested in girls. Um, they're just, their sex life is, is satisfied, thank you very much, by, by the porn industry. That's all they're doing. And, and so, of course, there are no relationships uh, being developed and uh, children are not born in Japan. Not only because of pornography, of course. I'm not saying that. But it's a culture that, that kind of feeds upon itself that way. It's unhealthy for society. So... This is, and we want to talk about pornography in the same way that the uh, those who rally against the the video games are so hot to trot about how violent they are and how destructive it is to the young boys and young adolescents. Well, let's make the same argument regarding pornography. It's destructive. It it, it won't it won't cause you to go out and and uh, and and gang rape a bunch of women because you know you're not interested in that apparently. You're just interested in in uh, seeing pictures of live, live streaming uh, women uh, engaging in the sexual act. But what it does do is that it prevents social connections and the ability of young men to become, to, to become men and to actually get into the relationship that, that kind of supports all the infrastructure that's necessary and to have children. 
but they're just not interested in that. So you have ultimately the totally emasculated male, so to speak. He's 35 years old. He's staying at home with his mom, who's divorced, no doubt. And uh, he's playing video games. And when he's not playing video games, he's watching porn and smoking dope. Okay, that's, that's, what that's what's going on in a lot of different households, many more than you think. And he has no incentive to go out and rub his eyes together in the, in the sun as he's opening up the door to explore what the world has to offer. Because it's just too hard. Why would he do that? Yeah, and if you take this to the nth degree where this leads, this becomes a male who will not be depended on to uh, reproduce if his species dependent on it, number one. And he certainly wouldn't be able to raise arms and defend our nation from invaders. Right. So he has become a uh, completely useless eunuch. Yeah, eunuch is a, is a good to word To women and to Society. our entire civilization. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's a terrifying thought <clears throat> because, I, I mean, Barack and I are right here and we can be counted on for both of those functions, right. but there aren't a lot of us anymore no. and we're getting older. Well, it's like that song, uh, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, right? And, and that song, you know, has a nice beat to it and everything. It's a good rhythm. But I think a, a lot of the reason of that, that song's popularity is, and it's sung by women, right? Uh, I think it really resonates to them. Where have all the cowboys gone? They're really asking, where are, are all the real men out there that treat us like ladies, who's, who tell us that we're beautiful, who try to, uh, to be romantic with us? You know, yes, and they want to have sex, but at the same time, they, they have to do it the right way. You know, we like that, we, we women. That's what they're saying. So where, where have all the cowboys gone? I'll, we'll tell you. They're in the basement of their mother's house. Yeah, the reason they got there is because <clears throat> when they tried to play cowboys and Indians in the schoolyard, they got suspended. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It, it, they're so surprised when they when they don't understand uh, what um, what the consequences are of the very policies that they that they that they advance. In yeah, schools, if you destroy maleness in children. You wow! I don't know where it went in adults. Right. Surprise. It's interesting. If you you know you and I have young children, and uh, they're they're both in elementary school or nursery school. And what is interesting to note is that in elementary schools, and it's not just my elementary school, your elementary school, it's in all elementary schools. I, I'm, I'm very confident about this. They do not, they, they teach you how your kids should be, you know, good citizens, so to speak. Not good citizens, but rather that they, they, they get along because the school wants them to get along, right? They don't want fights and such like that. So they'll teach you, they'll use good phrases like, uh, we're going we're gonna to raise good in our school, good mensches, for example, they say. In your school, they might say, you know, good people. Um, but it's basically the same concept. You know, people who, you know, don't make waves is what, what the basic gist is. And what they don't say is, I want to raise this, this person to be a good man. Or a good woman, for that matter. But I'm focusing on men for the time being. Because we really need men. We need cowboys, as it were. Right? That, that's the thing that draws us. To, 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 to men. A, a woman loves Han Solo, right? She loves the, the James Bond. The, she likes all those, the, the, um, who's the guy? Indiana Jones. All those characters. The reason, the reason why they like them so much is precisely because they're unique and that they're men. 
And that means that they go out and they, they try to conquer their own fears and they go out and they get the girl. That's very appealing. Uh, the whole Back to the Future movie is in, in a sense all about that, right? George kiss the girl, right? George McFly I'm talking about. And to punch Biff so that he can get the courage to, to move forward in his life. Um, and and you, you just don't have that in elementary schools anymore. And I, I doubt you have it in high schools. You know, what does it take to be a man? Yeah, well, I mean, also, they, they, they never learn this at all. Yeah. And instead what happens is a famous story, uh, and, and I forget, Mark Stein brings this up quite a bit, the story of the uh, Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal, in Canada, where, you know, some horrific monster came in with a, with a machine gun, or semi-automatic at least, and um, separated the men and the women, and he just, he hated women, and he started killing each one of them, and he left the men in the hallway till, and told them not to move, and they just stood there, doing nothing. And then he came out, the, the murderer, and just kind of walked by them, and they did nothing. He didn't plan on killing them, he just, just walked by. And, uh, and the police, in the meantime, did nothing. They were, they're all outside, but they were just let him kind of do his rampage. It was considered such a disaster from a standpoint of uh, stopping this horrific kind of crime. But that's, that, I don't want to go there right now. I want to go where... Well, the issue the, is the maleness. The male. None yeah, the, of these men put themselves at risk. Yeah. None of them even tried. And they heard the guns going one off at a time before these women. They heard the screaming and everything else. And they just sat in the hallway. Well, at waiting. least they were well-behaved. At least they were oh, yeah, well-behaved little well citizens behaved. as they were trained to be. Well, it only goes to show, Ari, that manhood is learned. Of you, you, you must teach manhood. Of course. And it's not just our species. You know, we, we see in the inner city the, the lack of fa- black fathers, and then we wonder why we have those problems. Oh, what's going on in the inner city? Well, men, no fathers. We see it in other species. In elephants, when all the male elephants are gone, the new younger male elephants don't know how to become males. That's right. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And, and so we, we don't, we don't teach you it. You said something that I think is important to, to note, which is you talked about in school, they train you to be good citizens. They don't train you to be a good to grow up to be a good lady, and they don't train you to be a good gentleman. It becomes androgynous yeah, at that right. level. You're all going to be citizens in this blurry area of citizenship. <laughs> they, and they never teach them their role. One of the nice, nice things about, uh, you know, I, I can speak for myself, and I, I, think, I think it's accurate. When I was a boy, I loved it when they separated the boys and the girls from time to time because, you know, we're going to have a get-together for just the boys to learn about what it means to be a man and, and to be tough and to have a rite of passage, for example. I liked it very much, for example, that uh, only the boys wore the kipo, uh, kipot, which is, uh, you know, the... The yarmulke. The yarmulkes or the, the skull caps that, you know, people sometimes refer to. Um <clears throat> And it's really only designed for men. There's there's a reason for that. Let's not get into that. But the point is, it's designed for men, and it's considered not a burden necessarily, but it's something that you have to do, and it's a connection to God. Okay, and and it's something that I like doing because it said I'm a man. This is my obligation as a man or as a young boy, and great. It's wonderful. I like the idea of wearing a tie, and only boys wear the ties and the, and the jacket and ties. Uh, then there's the uh, Dennis Prager talked about this, the all-boys choir, right? But then things changed. Now the all-boys choir became, well, anyone can, can apply for that, girls, of course, included. And at first it became co-ed, and then nobody, none of the boys wanted to, to do it because it was not, there was nothing unique for boys, or for just, just boys. That's the way we are. 
So we get the, into this culture. The point is that we get into a culture where there's no separate distinction that, uh, between boys and girls, and the boys don't know what their role is anymore. And they don't understand why they need to go, you know, chasser la femme, as they say, to, to get the girl. And, and they should. They should know why they're doing it. They should know how to do it as well, along with respect and everything else. The women want to be wooed, and you should want, as a man, to woo them. That's, that's the, the dance. But no one's teaching them the dance. And so as a consequence, we have this, 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 the lust is still there. But they turn to pornography, which is free, which asks nothing of them, and no one will judge them. And in fact, they keep on telling, we won't judge you. But there are consequences to this. So two things here. One is that the, 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 the success of pornography on the internet, at least, is a reflection of our own society, of, of where we've arrived, so to speak. And then the second thing is how damaging pornography, if you, you get lost in that world, it is, in fact, very damaging for your soul. It's damaging for the way you look at women, damaging for your relationships, damaging for your future altogether. And it, it takes away the one motivation that you have, which is chasser la femme, get the girl. Because that, from there flows so many other things that are so important to every man to succeed in business, to, to succeed in family life, uh, to succeed as, a, as, a, as an American citizen. And we're, we're losing that. Yeah, Ben, you make such an important point about this because if you don't have the uh, need to to gratify your primal urges with a woman that then leads to a relationship, why should you go to work? Yeah. Why should you try to have your own house or your own place? Why should you try to have a career or success or be a, a pillar of responsibility in society? Well, you know, one of the, it's interesting. You have a very attractive wife, and I believe I do too. Yes, and I you think do. one of the reasons I know this is because you said I have an attractive wife. And when you said that, rather than being jealous, I feel flattered. Ah, some other guy notices, my wife's hot. Great, right? Yeah. Well, one of the That's great right. pleasures of going out when you have an attractive wife is having other men go or other people Wow, look at that guy. That's so true. I didn't know he could get a girl like that. That's right. You know, they, they say that women dress for other women, right? You know, this is their little code. And not their little, their big code, actually. The way they dress themselves up, the way they make themselves up, and so on. And yes, they, they, they don't mind that they're looking good for, for the men. But in reality, they're actually dressing for each other. In a sense, we men, when we have our woman to our side, we're, we're not doing it so that we can attract another woman to us, right? It's, in a sense, we're, we're showing it to the other guys. We're saying, this is my wife. Ah, that's your wife. Believe me, we're, we're judging each other based upon that. And how nice-looking, it doesn't have to be hot, but nice-looking or elegant your wife is, wow, that, that, that changes everything. Um, I, I can, <laughs> there's one gentleman that I, that I used to work with very nice guy. I think it was a very bright attorney. And uh, he kept on talking about his girlfriend, his girlfriend. And I always liked him. I thought he was such a great attorney and he was, he was handsome and, res and I respected him. And then I met his girlfriend. And she, and I'm really not trying to be funny here, she was maybe the ugliest uh, human being I have ever seen. And and she, she had bad body odor as well as she, her, her teeth were all over the place. I think she was missing a few teeth. 
She was bizarrely short. Uh, she was fat. And she didn't speak English well. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I, at first I thought, it's just a joke. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, really, not to be offensive here, I just, I, I know a lot of women listeners. You couldn't with, with, believe he would be with I just her. couldn't believe. I mean, I don't care how feminist you are. It, the most feminist listener to this show would see that that situation and say, "This doesn't make sense." And she would not respect this man. Okay, that there are certain standards. Okay, now <laughs> this guy, I I just never saw him the same way again. That was it. I was done with him. And uh, anyway, that's that's the bottom line. We we perceive each other that way. Anyway, look, wrapping it up. It's the point is that the internet is a reflection of us and we need to understand how dangerous it is we are going down the wormhole and we need to respect the dangers and the consequences of of internet porn like we respect the dangers of alcohol and cigarette smoking and uh, overeating and so many other things it's just that we haven't matured yet as a society to understand that there are consequences i'm brock larry don't go away we'll be right back Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. I made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. time ago we talked about passion right um and passion is what wins wars okay we, we we every conflict that you can ever imagine in history is uh a conflict in some ways of passion so one party had an ideology and the other one had the uh, opposite ideology and they went to war so for example slavery and non-slavery right north and south and the passion that we had to fight slavery helped us win that war. Yeah, now, they, they say in football, the person who wins wants it more. That's right. That's all. Oh, I like that. That's right. They want it more. And um, you, you just got to gotta fight for it. Um, and and that's, that's what a coach does, right? I mean, I just saw the movie um, Miracle uh, with Kurt Russell playing the coach for the USA hockey team. And, you know, these boys who are the team players who ultimately beat the, the Russians, of course, they're the same boys, whether they're coached by him or by anybody else, right? But the coach, what he succeeds at is bringing out the best in them, right? 
And part of bringing out the best in them is making sure that they want it, getting into the psychology of their minds to make them hungry for the win. Okay, so you're with me so far. Um, now, I, I, I'm talking about this because we are in conflict now with radical Islam. We are in conflict to some extent with Russia and their agenda. We're in conflict to a lesser extent with China and its agenda and so on. And we have to ask ourselves, who are we? What do we want? We, we need to be those, like those hockey players. We, want it, we have to want it more. And I bring this up also in the context of politics. Uh, right now, we, we, we're in the throes of an election season. And it's, again, it's timeless. So we don't know who's going to win as we sit today, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Trump. Uh, maybe it'll seem so obvious in, in hindsight. But I can tell you one thing that, you know, because we're not big into the prediction game unless we really feel a very strong sense of something. We can, we can sense patterns and such. But when it comes to this, I can tell you whoever wins will win because they brought out the passion in people to, to come out. So I, I think there's, I personally think, right, good for today as we speak in uh, early September of 2016, that the passion seems to be lacking for the Hillary camp for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I, I don't know too many enthusiastic liberals uh, who are just so gung-ho about her. I, I think the whole notion that she'll be the first woman president if she wins, God forbid, uh, is something that you're, you're, you're not hearing anymore. It's all about the emails. It's all about the Clinton Foundation and all the other scandals that she's uh, thrown herself into. So I don't know that there's that much passion. I, I do feel, and I, and I sensed this, you know, like him or not, and, and you and I disagree about Trump, but one thing I think you will, you'll definitely agree is that Trump goes out there and he says, I love America. I think America's great and it's going to be great again. And he talks about things in a very optimistic uh, and, and he defends America. Whereas Obama, by contrast, has just gone out and said, you know, again, apologizing for the country, calling Americans lazy for not being appreciative of other cultures, uh, lazy for not seeking out better energy alternatives, for example. Uh, and this is, you know, kind of an apolog apologetics for America <coughs> that, that shouldn't be. Trump doesn't have that. Trump offers, uh, if you want, he offers the happy ending movie. Whereas Hillary Clinton, well... If she were a movie, she'd be more like No Country for Old Men, right? A, a, a movie where just a bunch of stuff happens and it's just really crappy and at the, end, at the end of the movie doesn't make any sense. So passion is lacking. And I don't know. Aria, I, I welcome your thoughts on this as well. Um, it's, not a, it's not a question of who to vote for, who not to vote for. Somebody's going to win the presidency. It's either Trump or Hillary Clinton. But what I'm seeing now, and the polls are seeming to reflect it, is that People are less and less enthusiastic about Hillary. And now it's down to, it's pretty much a dead even race at this point. Um, so I don't know. Your thoughts? Well, you're absolutely right. There is no uh, passion on the Democrat side. And um, Trump is a master at inflaming passions. Yeah. In, in, or however you want to for, for better or for worse. It. Yes, yeah. the people who are in support of him are, are very passionate and that does matter. Yeah. Um, I think the, the bigger issue is that 
regardless of who wins or doesn't win the presidential election, the fact is, is that the enemies of America, because of a certain amount of complacency and uh, apathy going on really since the late 1980s, has damaged America's ability to be passionate. As yeah. we talked about in the earlier segment, where we were talking about maleness and mm-hmm. what drive the fat maleness and what makes the the drive of maleness that you were talking about susceptible to the uh, uh, temptations of the things you were talking about is because at the core of maleness is passion. Yeah, passion for women or right. whatever it is, or success or conquest yeah. it's or the, money. It's, it's sex is a motivating factor, right? And and it's a motivating. I, uh, here, I'll be real frank, and a lot of your listeners who know me or are familiar with me, it motivates everything I do. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, and let's just be you know, frank and honest about that. And that's what kind of succeeds in radio. That's why people listen, because we'll say things that they not necessarily can. But um, the reason I work hard is because of uh, my passion for this this industry and my passion for this country and my passion to... Uh, you know, have my woman, you know, my wife uh, want me. Right. You know, in, in and, all and, ways. Right. And you and passion for God. You want, you, you, as you say, it's important that we're on God's side. Um, so that, that's all a form of passion. And, and, and I want to talk about that in a moment because it, it delves into the next topic. I'm so glad you brought up the previous segment because it's exactly the point that we're making, right? That if you take away the man's passion uh, for his quest for woman and, and say, look, you know, that passion is is illegitimate or undesirable for whatever reason. And in fact, if you pursue your passion, you know, we might accuse you of rape um, because, you know, it, that's terrifying. If you, if you have a great fun night with a lady and then um, she regrets it because she looks over at you and she goes, hey, you know what, he's, he's not as cute as I thought he was, right? Or, How dare she? <laughs> uh, well... You know, I think that's what most women thought. Not in it, our what, cases. Oh yes, but, definitely <laughs> in my case, I'm sure. Uh, when they, uh, they they might have woken up and wow, I uh, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me gnaw off that uh, arm. <laughs> right. I don't know. Uh, you know, frankly, I, I I've always I think I had a very different um, young you know adolescence and and young manhood because I was very careful with with whatever you know dating I did. Uh, I was I was pretty cautious about those things, but that's that's not the here nor there. The fact is that passion for pursuing a woman is very very important. For women, it's passion to pursue the relationship. But at the end of the day, they kind of meet. You know, it's the woman who wants to be married more than the man does, right? So you combine those two factors together, and you get hopefully a stable and loving marriage and a relationship that that goes on for many decades. And then you have kids and, and all the good stuff. But you take away the passion, terrible things happen. You, you must have passion. And we need to ask ourselves, you know, what are we passionate about as Americans? What, what, is, what is important to us? What do we pursue? I mean, this is part of my atheist, atheism book. Is, you know, I talk about this quite a bit. If you don't have passion, it, your, your life has no meaning. Yeah, and you and you, know, you, without God, you can have no passion. Yeah, and you know what's so brilliant about what you just said? The core of knowing God. Yeah. Knowing he's there, knowing him personally, having a channel of communication to him is you can't do that if you don't have belief. And a synonym for passion is belief. Yeah. And right. once you eliminate or, if you will, castrate someone's belief or passion, their, their passion in all things goes away. And even if you have these uh, Silicon Beach 
billionaires out on, you know, walking around Venice Beach with more money than God, they have no passion for anything. Yeah. And then their money gets, you know, squandered it's, it's away. Meaning, even if it isn't squandered, even if they, uh, you know, read Warren Buffett's book and they, uh, and Peter Lynch's book and they make really smart investment decisions and they just are so responsible. So what? Yeah. yeah. And, and, passionless individualism leads to a passionless collectivism which leads to a passionless society and yeah. civilization yeah. Yeah. Right. and the problem is is that the enemies of America the myriad of them from all those uh, corners of the world you started with they all have passion they all want it they're smelling blood in the water and they see us finally after decades as weak and apathetic yeah. and passionless yeah. now's the time right. now's the time that and, that's, and I don't blame them for thinking that way because that's that's the way the chessboard plays. They're always looking for, for openings. What do you think, President Obama, what do you think is happening in the rest of the world? Do you, th- do you think that they just kind of sit complacently, just kind of twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing about their leadership roles at all? No, they, they are sitting in boardrooms looking at that big map like in Dr. Strangelove, right? With the big map of the world and seeing opportunities. And they're saying... You know, uh, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, it looks like we've got uh, an opening here. The Americans are weak here. We can move our Chinese ships over here, and we can build these islands over here. We'll have a launching pad into Japan if we ever need such, and then we'll kind of corner this entire area here. Uh, and well, what about uh, the, the Americans? The Americans are too weak. They don't have. They're not interested. This is what they do. They 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 gather up in their respective war rooms, and they make decisions based upon that. And, and to not understand that, to think that they just kind of sit idly by, is like playing chess with somebody thinking that they won't make their own moves. They, that only you are the one making moves. It, but in fact, they are making their own moves all the time. And this is the, 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 the shallowness, the, the empty way of thinking that our president has. Yeah, and then another thing, the brilliance of your chess analogy is I've been studying chess a bit uh, more in life ever since I've met you and known you no. in detail because of a lot of the ideas you have about chess. And I've realized something. Chess games are never won. They are only lost. They're, they're lost on mistakes. Understand? Uh, it's possible to make chess moves that are flawless, essentially. And right. if you make them, you will set up a defensive strata on the board that's impenetrable. It's possible to do right. that. Right. But one mistake... One faulty pull out of Iraq at the wrong time. One not standing up to Putin when he's invading Ukraine. One time leads to a cascade of puzzle pieces being out of position. And just yesterday, another Russian jet buzzed an American plane, this time coming within 10 feet of it. Wow. And what is stopping the Americans from shooting the Russian planes for this harassment? Right. The, The reason is because the Russian planes knows the king on the chessboard of America will court-martial any soldier who shoots without given proper authority. Right. He, they know the American pieces on the board are completely defenseless. Yeah. And the only reason they don't actually take them is because they don't need to. Right. Now, look, I, I, I of course, agree with you. Um, and the question is, why is this happening, right? And yes, look, you know I, I have a lot of... I, I lay a lot of blame with the President Obama himself. But... In fairness to Obama, um, you know, let's let's face it. Obama is a reflection of ourselves, right? We That's voted. Right. We voted this man in, 
So a man who wanted to fundamentally transform America, a man who, whose ideologies were very different than American ideologies, whose passions were very different than our passions. And one of those passions that he's not, uh, that is not uh, coincide, I'm sorry, uh, one of the areas for which he is not passionate is the military. He has no interest in that. So it's not surprising. I mean, I can fault him all day long, but really it's a, re a reflection of us. That's right. So if we didn't have an apathetic society, right. and, and we're not saying it's apathetic in a vacuum. There's many, many factors. The education system, the culture, the family, the news media, our, our entertainment culture, all the things we've talked about. Ad nauseum on all the episodes <laughs> leading up to now. Right. But the fact is that collective apathy by 2006 led to the Pelosi-Harry Reid Congress, and collective apathy of Americans led to Obama, and we're reaping the, the reward of collective activity. So I agree with you about the Trump-Clinton arguments right. on many fronts, but the fact is the thing that will save America is passion by the individuals billowing up and blowing up into passion in the collective. Right. Right, and, and eventually the president will reflect that passion. Right, right? whoever it is. So, if it's, and I pray that you're right about Trump. If I'm wrong about Trump, God bless it. I pray I, I'm wrong. I have no him. choice but to hopefully uh, be optimistic. Right. And, I, and I literally mean that, hopefully be optimistic. Yes, but what I am assured of yeah. is because we're a land blessed by God, eventually the collective passion through individual passion will reemerge one way or another. And if you look at America historically, it does ebb and flow. That's right. And it, whenever it ebbs, it results in disaster that, right. When we finally respond, causes it to flow, and then will it results in presidents like Coolidge and Lincoln and Reagan and hopefully Cruz. You know, from your lipster, got to yours. Yeah. If everyone and if, uh, and by the way, if it is Trump for Penny Alfonso out there, if it is right. Trump and I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong. Right. Okay. I'd love it if he. Well, let's let's is take the, the guy. Let's take uh, the the American electorate and assume, for the sake of this discussion, that they are that there is a massive amount of disappointment regarding the immigration policy, that they are all for, let's say, deportation. Uh, just, just let's, let's put it this way. They are for extreme enforcement of the immigration laws. Okay, so even if you've been here for five, six, ten years, and you're an illegal citizen, it's, it's, it's never done any other step necessary to get um, appropriate citizenship, and, and then you're taken. Uh, if the whole country was like that and, and was behind that, let's say 80%, and likewise, they were against abortion. And likewise, they were against higher taxes. And likewise, they were other, you know, ready to fight ISIS uh, and, and to take whatever lengths to do that. The, the, the choice of the president would reflect that, wouldn't it? Right? I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's what's wonderful. Yeah. I would be elected if that was the case. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> but but that's, the whole, that's what's so great about America is that our government is responsive to the de demands and needs, sometimes too much so, right? But nevertheless... You, you can never say that the, the president is not a reflection of the American people. Yeah. He is, after all, voted in by the majority of the people. So, uh, so when we develop passion, we get, we get where we need to be. But I don't think we have passion, at least not in the right direction. We, you, know, what, you know, a liberal listen to this will say, what are you talking about, Ari? What are you talking about, Barack? You know, we're passionate. We, we, we're passionate for the environment. We're passionate for minority rights. We're we're passionate for fair gay pay marriage and, and gay marriage equal and pay, equal rights. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, fair enough. You and you got that. That's the funny thing is that we 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 see you crying when when the the Supreme Court allowed gay marriage. Pathetic as as you looked at the time. We, we see you crying when when you get this uh, health care bill that's unconstitutional. We get that, 
we understand your, your passion. We understand how destructive it is. And, and with your passion, we'll, we'll go down the wrong way. So, but I don't deny your passion, my, my liberal friend. We know that. And that's why I'm saying whoever has the passion in this election, 2016, will be the winner. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting you just said that because Shmuley Botiak, the rabbi, was on with Prager today, and he said something very interesting. It's the same one who wrote the yes. article about the, uh, the yeah. pornography, yeah. And um, I was jokingly saying, constructing an email to you where I called his <laughs> first name prudely, but I, something got in the way and I procrastinated, so that'll come later. But the point is, he said something very interesting. He said, the government of Iran has just received all of this money in cash, billions and billions of dollars of American money from Obama. And they're saying, for all the world to see, we're going to annihilate every Jew in the world. Right? Right. Genocidal official decrees. Or at least Israel. Yeah. Right. When they say great Satan, little Satan, I take it as both. So right. My interpretation is every one of us. Right. Whenever, and Shmuley said, whenever a cop accidentally shoots a black man, you get riots in the streets in multiple cities because of Black Lives Matter. Why aren't Jews rioting in the streets over this? Right, right. It's a, Where's our passion? Exactly the point you're talking about. Yeah. And we as Jews wonder why we get the, the short shrift of what, now, granted, if we rioted in the streets, the police would round us up immediately. Okay. Well, there's, there's, there's two factors involved. One is well, the, the real factor is Jews just don't riot, and thank God for that. But right, it, it's not. That's not the way we we respond to what we perceive to be injustice. We don't go. We, we don't riot. That's absolutely right. We may parade in the streets, but when we parade on the streets, we parade on behalf of other people, not ourselves, right? Including Black Lives Matter, right. ironically. Yeah. Second. Well, yeah, this is among the secular Jews, right? Oh, yes. I, let, let's make a, because, you know, we, we are on a podcast, and I want to make this very clear. We've said this before. Uh, Jews are very conservative politically when they are conservative religiously, right? And what I, what I mean by that is that the more observant you are as a Jew, the more likely you are to be conservative. Uh, you and I are, are, are passionate Jews, um, and, you know, we, we don't wear the, the kippot. Uh, we don't wear that to fill in. We don't do a lot of the things that people often talk about when they when they see the black hats and the and the, the dark beards and such and the curls, but but our our belief and our our conviction about God's presence and God's goodness is very strong, and we are conservative. I I am quite confident. I will say with ninety percent correlation that uh, those Jews who feel like we do, in fact, I think more, more Christians who believe like we do, are conservative. If they have the the depth of belief that we have, ninety percent of the time they're going to be conservative politically. So I, I've said my piece on about about that. Um, now, now going further on this issue, um, we Jews, however, are only two percent of the population. Okay, the black population is eleven and a half percent. I mean, that's literally what you know four. Five, five, five times. times. It's five Basically times. Basically five times. Because uh, sometimes it's 2.5, sometimes, depending on who you're talking to. So think of it as somewhere between four and five times the population of Jews. There, there are many more gays, let's put it this way, uh, in America than there are Jews. No, they're the same number, 2.5%. No, it's, it's a, the lowest number is 3%, and the highest, uh, but depending on who you talk to, is uh, up to 9%. So it's, it's a little bit bizarre, but there, there you have it. So the low end of the spectrum is supposed to be 3%, 9%, or even 10%, I've heard, on the high end. But that's not there here nor there. It's, it's, it's at least as many as the Jews and probably more as the Jews. 
And we're, a, we're not a vocal, that vocal minority. Yes, we, we are involved in many different cool areas of life, entertainment, uh, finances, law, medicine, uh, entertainment. But it's, not, uh, it, it's just not the same thing. We don't respond to injustice the same way. Uh, and maybe we should. But I, I, don't think, I don't think it's been very effective for the black community. So, in fact, if I, if I, if I were to say anything... As I said to a couple of callers on my Sunday show, the best way to respond to what you perceive to be injustice or to be discrimination is to be the best damn man or woman you can be. That's it. Be the best father, be the best uh, citizen, be the best uh, professional, whatever your profession may be, the best neighbor, uh, the best uh, uh, you know, uncle, what have you. Then great things will happen because that's, that's the way we Jews responded to anti-Semitism. We just decided, okay, fine, we'll just work harder. That's it. That's, that's our job. And sure enough, we started our own law firms, our own businesses. We created our own music, our own style of so many different things, whether it's Levi Strauss or Einstein or you know, Woody Allen or you name it, uh, Leonard Bernstein. The Hillcrest Country Club. Yeah. Right, or, or many law firms that I can mention that are, that, that are Jewish law firms uh, because they were born out of anti-Semitism in the 60s and early 70s. So this is, this is the world that you create. You, know, you, you have to be just the best person you can be. And you know, it's not just the Jews who've done this. It's the Koreans, it's the Japanese, the Chinese, the, the Hispanics, the Italians and the Irish. All, every, every community that has succeeded has done what I just said. None of them have succeeded doing what sadly the black community is doing now, galvanizing around it with a Black Lives Matter situation and and uh, embracing victimhood. That has not worked. And it never will work. Yeah, and it's interesting you said that because despite what happened in June of 1994, let's take O.J. Simpson. We talked about this before. O.J. Simpson did the exact opposite things like Muhammad Ali and uh, John Carlos and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all those other black athletes who became radicalized in the 1960s. He went the opposite way. He went to USC, the clean you know, pro-American school. He was Mr. Clean, Mr. America. And he was the most popular man in media for many, many years, despite his, uh, let's yeah. just say, marital issues. Right. We're, we're not talking post-1994. Yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, the, the black athletes who all became radicalized and suffered financially and professionally because of it all hated O.J. for it. Yeah. But O.J. used to say, I don't care if people see me as black or white or whatever. I just want them to see me as OJ, an individual. Yeah, and, and, and eventually he was forced into being seen as a black man only, and that's, that's unfortunate. Look, uh, I think we kind of digressed a little bit from the main area, yeah, which is passion. but it's all about passion, you yeah. know? It, it is. It is truly about it, and if you want to be passionate about it, because bringing back to the, the way the Jews responded to, to uh, discrimination, we are passionate about it, but we also have lost God. A lot of the Jews, the secular Jews I'm talking about, by definition, they've lost God, right? Yeah, or if they attend a, a synagogue, they, they, they do what I call going through the motions. Yeah, I, I've even I have even conservative Jewish friends, some prominent who are conservative with us. And I was shocked when one of them told me, uh, I'm a really atheist. And I said, what, are you crazy? Yeah. You don't see the miracles around you everywhere? How do you lose your faith, faith passion? Well, at least he has like passion that. for America. At least he believes that, it, you know, you know, from his, his point of view, and, and I used to think this way, so I understand. From his point of view, he'll say, I'm passionate about capitalism. 
I'm passionate about growth. I'm passionate about inventions and innovation. And that's what will save us, not this, this God business that's so silly. That, that's the way they talk. I, yeah. I understand that they're wrong, but at least they have the passion in the right direction. Right. right? And I always look at my but job. That, but that's why there's so few of them out yeah. there. And I a conservative at, atheist is, is a rare find. Right. And I always look at my job is finding those people and I run across them and saying, no, yeah, believe. Yeah. Yeah, You'll yeah. feel better. Come on. <laughs> and I like to say, think that uh, when I saw the look in his eyes flicker and change, that I might have actually gotten through to him. Yeah. Even that much. You know, the, the passion... Is is so critical in this uh, in our lives. It's what works. It what has made America a truly great country. It, and if you know to to use the tagline that Donald Trump says, uh, "Make America great again." Uh, you know the the question that I think is begged is, well, what will make America great again? Obviously, it's not just Donald Trump that's going to make America great again. God willing that he does. But what? The way to make America great again is to embrace God, understand what brought us to the greatness that we now have, and hopefully we'll continue to have in, in decades to come. But you just can't have it. You can't, you, there's, there's no passion, none, which is the, the ultimate way to, to victory. For whatever your cause may be, you must have passion. And with, we, we seem to be lost. We are like a kite without the string. And, and or a boat without the uh, the sail, if you like. Okay, we're we're just wandering aimlessly. That's that's what the country is becoming under the Obama administration, and what it would further do under the Clinton administration. Passion, my friends. Ask yourself what's important to you, what motivates you, and at the end of the day, if if it's if it's only a passion for pornography, for example, if that's the only thing that you look forward to. If, if it's if it's only you know going to to dance halls, if it's only you know to to get drunk, perhaps something something's missing in you. Perhaps you're you're missing the sail in your sailboat. Because I'll tell you, the one thing that will make you go forward in life is God. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.